Hello and welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm Jess and this is the podcast where I talk about life's toughest topics with lots of different brilliant people. Today's episode is called Let's Talk About Immigration. I'll be joined by Ronit Mizrahi as we share our stories of leaving home and moving to countries on the other side of the world. We'll be diving into an honest conversation about how our world deals with immigration, the need for balance between law and grace at the borders, and how underneath it all, as human beings moving throughout the world, we are all searching for the same thing, compassion. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Hi, Renee. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for being here. I have wanted to talk to somebody about immigration and I couldn't figure out who it was I was going to talk to and I just fell upon you and your magnificent story. So I'm really happy that you're a guest. Thank Mm -hmm. you for being willing. Thank you for taking me. Of course. So you've journeyed from one part of the world to another and you're now settled here in America. Mm -hmm. But you originally came from Israel. Right. What was that journey like for you? What made you make the decision to move and, and how has life been since you've since you've emigrated? Okay, first of all, it's a good timing because on 13th of June, I have been in America for 40 years. Wow, 40, 40 years. years. I, it's hard for me to believe. Uh, but what originated it is a really nice story. Um, in 67, we had the Six Day War in Israel and um, most of my class were American immigrants, you know. Wow, so they had immigrated from America from to America Israel. From America to Israel right after the war. Wow. It was a very patriotic time. Mm-hmm. And I befriended an American girl. Her dad was a very famous uh, lawyer from Beverly Hills, and she was apparently a little wild with drugs, and he thought it was a good idea to send her to Israel, so she was with me in school. And I got to know American music, I got to know the culture, and I fell in love with it. I loved English anyway, to wow. speak English any, any you know, opportunity I had. Mm-hmm. And we had such a great time together that we promised after we finished high school that uh, I'll, I'll come to America, to her. Wow. And so, was there any fear behind that, or were you just not excited? At all. Not at all. I was very excited. There were a few things in Israel I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is just the culture was too abrasive. Um, people were not polite, and I just mm-hmm. wanted to. I, I found, you know, the stories that she was telling me in the music that I liked in America, like American Pie, Carol King. These are the, uh, the people that I listened to when I was young. Yeah. Um, appealing so I promised myself that after I finish my army service Mm. I will travel to America and just maybe study photography wow because everybody in Israel all Israeli citizens have to serve in the army is that right yeah wow Mm -hmm. so what did you do what was your service so I was supposed to be stationed somewhere and last minute they changed it and they stationed me in in a very beautiful base uh, air force Wow. Uh, in middle of Jerusalem, Israel. Mm-hmm. And I had a great time in the army. And they liked me, so I I was actually in a unit that was getting a little bit more pay. So I was able to save my money mm. uh, to come to America. Wow. And then they asked me to stay an extra year mm-hmm. with great pay. So, yeah. I You're like, I'll money. do it. Yeah. I Absolutely. think a lot of people think, because I've heard that before about, you know, um, mandatory service. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people think that means being on the front line and like actually going to war. But there's there's so many sectors of the military that where people can serve, you know, it doesn't have to just be you know being well, sent to the front days, lines. In my days, forty some years ago, you weren't. Girls were not supposed to be in the front. Right. But today they are. Yeah. And they like to. Yeah. It wasn't it just I'm in the surprised. last couple of years that the um, the. U.S. Navy SEALs and Special Forces have just... Maybe it was actually just this year that women have now even been allowed to apply. Mm-hmm. And I think there's only one woman that's passed the sort of introductory uh, course to get through, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow. So did you move to America on your own? I mean, with this friend, but no no family came with no you? No family. I knew some people. Mm-hmm. I befriended... Um, in high school, I befriended a guide who... Uh, a woman guide who came with American to travel in Israel. And I was chosen for my high school to accompany them. Wow. I guess because my English was fairly good. Yes. So I befriended her and we corresponded for a long time. And uh, she was actually my first uh, 
station, you know, in Atlanta, Georgia, apparently. Oh, uh, of that's all places. right. Yeah. yeah. So I took myself to New York. I landed in New York, obviously. Mm-hmm. Stayed there for three days and traveled, you know, around, you know, toward uh, mm-hmm. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And then I flew to her in Georgia. Wow. What was that, Manhattan like in the late 60s? It was beautiful. Wow. Well, actually, uh, 79. 79. Okay. So it's right. late, late uh, 70s. And it was just a shock for me coming from Israel. You know, you know, we didn't have tall buildings. The tallest building was probably twenty floors in Tel Aviv, and it was the highest in Israel. Wow! So for me, it was shocking, mm. but I was at awe at the same time, and wow. I loved every minute. I loved the language. I just loved being here. Wow! So and I think a lot of people forget when, you know, you immigrate, um, that. Even the small differences between cultures, little things like the weather or what food is available. When mm-hmm. I think people, when they're in their you know creature comforts and at, and comfortable at home, they forget how how much things like you know knowing what the weather's going to be like or knowing you can get the type of food you know you had in your childhood and the language and and people sharing cultural differences because for me um being uh, technically I'm actually an American British because I was registered I was born in the UK but I was registered as an American born abroad so I'm very very lucky and I have two passports and I've never had to worry about you know visas or that kind of thing so I you know emigrated not immigrated um But I think a lot of people, when I first got here, assumed that because it was a Western culture and I spoke English, um, that America and the UK were the same. And, you know, I didn't have the struggle of the language barrier, but it was an adjustment. And I did feel very homesick for things like, you know, wanting to have... um, people that got my sense of humor Mm. or being able to talk about things like really really small things that you know they weren't hurtful but it was just that oh there's no one to share it with things like when I was around people of my age in the US they would talk about tv shows that they grew up on and I didn't watch those shows because it was a different culture just things like that that can even though they're small when they're all added up and you do move to a new country they do contribute to feeling quite disorientated and like oh, this is not my home. So was it a big adjustment period for you? The biggest thing was family. Mm. Um, in Israel, family, um, not even family, neighborhood and, and community, community is everything. so important. Like, you know, everybody knew everybody. And if you see a child on the street, you would automatically ask him, why is he by himself? Or where is mommy and all mm. that? And uh, in here in America, it's not like that. It's not like that. And when I would go, uh, when I went to visit Terry, my friend, um, I would wake up in the morning to walk because I guess I was jet lagged or something and people would just say hi hi and I looked at them and I said why are they saying hi to me they don't know me mm. in Israel you don't approach somebody you don't know right. but you get to know people mm-hmm. so that was you know a shock um, yeah. family seemed to be totally different here in America than in Israel um, the other thing I paid attention to was like things that you're missing is just how come we don't have restaurants on the streets? Mm. Why all the restaurants are closed in? Mm. The, there were no tables and umbrellas, and mm-hmm. you know you didn't see many things like that here yeah. in California. And I was wondering, and the coffee? Why was the coffee so tasteless? Yeah, you know they should have had like espresso and yeah. stuff like that that was so common in Israel. Yeah, so that's so true. Um, I think, I mean, America's an absolutely massive country I always say that just like Europe you know is um split up into different countries it almost feels like each state is a different country here if you go to Missouri it's absolutely nothing like Texas or Washington state's nothing like Florida so it really could be different countries so I think when you do discover pockets of community in the US like I just recently went on a trip to New York and we stayed in in East Harlem and there was that like sense of community and started to see the same people every day and you know there were like street traders and there was that sort of cultural thing people almost look at it as a novelty and like oh we're going somewhere that's like really fun whereas in in places like you know Israel and I would say even in the UK that's just the norm you know community sort of I think lost in the US a little bit which is quite sad yeah yeah I was surprised to hear people talk about their families telling them okay you're 18 
time to go. Mm. You know, what here in the U.S.? Yeah, here in the in the U.S. Mm. Yeah, it's not like this in Israel. You go to the army, mm-hmm. and then you go back home, and families really embrace you coming back home. Mm. Is and it normal in Israel to stay in the family home until you, until you go get, get married? married? Yes. Right. Yeah. Is it like this in the U.K.? Um, it's not completely unheard of, but it's not it's not really common. I think maybe the older generation stayed at home until maybe they were at least like 25, 26, but some stayed until they were, you know, married. But a lot of people go off to university and then go into the cities to to work and, you know, find opportunity. Um, But I think, and I've done a fair bit of traveling myself and and places like Asia and the Middle East and Africa are definitely more family focused and, and people do stay at home longer. I think in places like, the UK or the US it's sort of seen as oh you still live at home like you know so I guess it's just a different way of thinking yeah so when you first landed you, you landed in, in New York how did you make your way up to California so I traveled first to Atlanta to my friend and I stayed with her for two weeks and I probably would have stayed in Georgia if it wasn't for the rain mm. it was raining there so and much so humid. I didn't like, yeah I didn't <laughs> like it much but she was very connected. She was a realtor at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had a lot of friends. And actually, you know, I befriended somebody really nice. But I wanted to come to Terry. I mm-hmm. wanted to come to California. Mm-hmm. So I knew another friend in a, in Tennessee. I don't know why I decided not to go to visit Elvis Presley. You know, Graceland, said, oh, is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah. I don't know why. I said, nah, who, no big deal. But now I regret it. Oh, you can always go back. That's true. But, you can you take know, a trip. Especially for there, yeah. Yeah. You know. So I had a great time with this guy and a guy friend that I met in Israel, actually. And then I came to Terry. And it was a scary story connected to that. I landed on Friday or Saturday, Saturday morning, and I didn't know where to go. I just knew that I had Terry's phone number. And Terry was a friend that you'd met in Israel? This is, the, this is Terry, my best friend from high school. Oh, the, the American girl. Yeah. Okay, got it. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. she went to yeshiva. She was not religious at all when I met her. Mm-hmm. She became religious. Mm-hmm. She met this drummer with long hair, red hair, that also became religious. So they became religious. Mm-hmm. So obviously they don't answer the phone on Friday. Religious in Judaism? Uh, yes, yes. Yes. Okay. Like keeping the Shabbat and yes, all that. Yes. And um, so when I landed, first of all, I felt at home. You know, Los Angeles is very much like Tel Aviv. Mm. I was shocked. You know, really? So, wow, is it? I felt so much at home. What that are the similarities? Weather, weather-wise, weather, the trees, the, you know, everything. The way you know, people I move. I felt like I was in yeah. Tel Aviv. Wow. For some reason. That's cool. The Maybe only... I'd really like Tel Aviv then, because I love LA. Oh, you would love Tel Aviv. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We'll have to plan a trip. Yeah. I'm going to hijack yeah. one of your trips. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, so I asked somebody, where do you go? You know, I, I need to meet a friend here in Santa Monica. Where do you go? Where, which hotel do you take for not too much money? I had about $30 in my pocket. So this... Stupid person sent me to downtown LA. Here I am at the LAX, very close to Santa Monica. I didn't know that. Sent me to downtown. So I spent, what, $15 on a cab? I mean, we're talking about 1979. Wow. It was July 13 or something like that. So I stayed in the hotel and I tried to call Terry. And I'm calling, I'm calling. She's not answering. I said, oh my God, I have no money. What am I going to do? So the next morning I go to the manager of this hotel. It was next to the the uh, Biltmore today. Yes. Uh-huh. The hotel is not there anymore. The one I stayed at, it was a cheaper hotel, obviously. I went to the manager. I said, listen, I'm running out of money. I'm willing to wash dishes if I cannot pay you for another night. Lo and behold, you know, it was a Sunday morning. I called her again. She said, yeah, where are you? Hey, come and pick you up. Like, I've been panicking. Where have you been? I called you all day yesterday. She said, oh, don't you know, I keep Shabbat. I don't answer the phone. So she came right away and picked me up and took me to the most beautiful place in Santa Monica. There's a place called East Rusty Canyon beautiful homes two steps from the beach wow so i'm going there and say oh wow that's so nice mm-hmm. and she has twins mm-hmm. not only you know she got married she has twins a wow. boy and a girl they're supposed to be 40 something today wow I wow can't imagine that it's so funny <laughs> that here's a girl that so we went fast. to high school together and we had yeah. so much fun with music and yeah. some fun stuff wow <laughs> so yeah 
So I felt relieved and mm-hmm. I came to visit her. I uh, stayed with her for about a week and then I made a license. I, I needed a job. So she connected me with a rabbi, Gansky. Mm-hmm. He was just my, my everything. He was my angel. So he tested me. He took me on a yellow bus mm-hmm. to drive on the street. And I was driving terribly. And he said, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know you drove in the army. <laughs> But nevertheless, I, uh, he asked me to, do the, to make the license to, to study and have a, a license to drive a bus. It's a C yeah. class or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did within three days. Wow. To my shocking. That's amazing. And he hired me. And I drove this 40 kids the next, uh, I think, a week after mm-hmm. the camp started. And I drove the bus. They had to go to Disneyland. So Ornit is a driver. So I drive 40 kids behind me, the two teachers sitting next to me. It's a stick shift. It's mm-hmm. the first time in my life driving on the freeway oh my to a place I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know how I had the guts to even do that. I had an experience like that. I was shaking. Like I was shaking. <laughs> my leg was shaking. And they asked me, are you okay? Sure, of course I'm okay. I had an experience very similar to that. I For my like um, college graduation in the UK, it's like you do these two years of community college. So mm-hmm. I was 18. And my parents, as like a graduation present, sent me on this two-week ranching experience trip in Wyoming because I, you know, grew up riding horses and competing oh. and stuff. So I was like, oh, that's really cool. And yeah. it, it, was a, it was just such a shockingly terrible experience because, I mean, long story short, they presented a picture and it was nothing like that. We basically got to the ranch and it was like a construction site with oh, no yeah. water and everything. I ended up having to come home early because a horse stood on my foot and broke three bones, oh my God. burst the main artery. Wait, stood on what? Stood on my foot. A horse oh, stood on my foot, foot oh my and God. lent all its weight on, on me and broke three bones, burst <gasps> the artery. And then the lady that I had to crawl up the hill literally stopping to throw up because I was in so much pain oh and I was like God. I need to go to the hospital and she did her hair and makeup for 45 minutes before she took me I wanted to kill her oh my God and I've always like you I can tell I think we're the same in this way I've always been quite ballsy and like I'm just gonna do it um and I don't know how I got away with this or how they let me do it obviously it was just one of those you know free-for-all things um they said oh we need another driver and I had been in America for about maybe three or four weeks before I went on this trip because I came over in the June and my intention was to stay for a year and I went on this trip in the July of 2012. So I had, I was 18 and I'd actually already gotten my US license. So they they were understaffed and they said, oh, is anybody 18 and do they have a license? And I was the only one. So I said, yeah, I do. And they said, okay, you'll be the second driver. So it was all these girls that were my age and I just got in this like, Ford Transit van and I was the opposite that I grew up driving stick so I didn't know like what an automatic was and I I remember I didn't understand because we don't have this in England where you know how if traffic's you know oncoming you drive the other way yeah but you have to wait for a gap in the traffic to turn you know left Uh and I didn't understand I was like I've got a green light why can't I go and I remember just driving around going I have no idea what I'm doing. I didn't understand the difference between like D for drive. And then if you put it over to the one that turns it to manual. And I remember we were driving through the middle of Wyoming on this like, you know, dead road. And I was saying to my friend, like, I don't know what this means. You know, what if I change it to, you know, one, does that make it go faster? And everyone was like, we don't know what it does. Don't change it. We might like explode and crash. Like, but it was this like (laughs) baptism by fire experience. Yeah. So he was my angel. Wow. So I ended up finding a job at the camera shop because I wanted to do photography. Mm. Santa Monica on 7th Street in Wilshire. Mm-hmm. They're doing construction now. It's a beautiful building. And um, I took their kids at 8 o'clock, mm-hmm. his kids, to school. At 9 o'clock, I started, you know, the photography. At 1 o'clock, which was my break, I was with me. He said, the only thing, please do not drive on Shabbat. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, yeah, sure. Of course, I did drive. <laughs> So I'm while, learning that you're quite rebellious, <laughs> aren't you, Renee? <laughs> and he liked me. And yeah. I liked him. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like my dad to me. He actually helped me get the green card. Wow. After a while. I was going to ask you what, you know, we're talking a lot about your journey and your story and what you did, but how was the actual process of coming to America? What was that like back then? Did you have to apply for a visa and hope for a green card or how did it work? So Terry, you know, we're looking at 40 years ago. It was so easy in America. Really? It was a huge immigration. Because now time. it's a nightmare. Uh, totally. But it was very easy then. But she said, you know, Ronnie, just don't let things happen. You know, just go do things, you know, the right way. Don't worry. 
And so for a year and a half, I didn't pursue anything. I didn't know if I wanted to stay or not. So you could just fly to America coming from Israel. You didn't have to have a visa. Uh, oh, that's a good question. I don't remember. I think I did have to have a visa. Or if it did, it was easy to get. Yeah. Right. It was really easy. It was just a stamp. and Great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you couldn't stay here illegal. Of course, if your mm. visa expires, which I think mine expired after three months. That's what yeah. I remember. Was I think that's months. it now. You can get like a 90-day travel visa. Yeah, and they don't expe- um, extend it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, normally. Yeah. So she said, just go to a lawyer and take care of it. But I neglected to do, you know, for a year and a half, I didn't do anything. So, well, this is America, and I'll come from Israel where things are much more complicated. and. Mm. You know, and Did here, you have any fear about, oh my God, my visa's expired, are they going to come after me? Not at all. Because I, I think most people now, I mean, we'll go in, into, you know, the immigration crisis that's happening right now, you know, later on. But now I think a lot of people who come here who are undocumented or have, you know, um, expired visas really live and move about in fear. Mm-hmm. It, you know what? I, I knew that I was a, not a criminal, mm-hmm. you know, and unless a police uh, officer, you know, stops me, mm-hmm. which it did for tickets a lot, and mm-hmm. I got out of tickets many, many times. How would you Again, get out of tickets? All kind of stories, but <laughs> but you saw today you cannot do it anymore. Yes. But I was amazed how I can use my charm yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, to get out of tickets. But unless you're a criminal, there's nothing to worry about. So I mm-hmm. knew that if I stay here a year and a half, you know, it would not be a problem. But mm-hmm. then after a year, I said, listen, I want to go and visit my family. I might as well go to a lawyer and start taking care of this. And that's when I started. Mm. What was communication like back then? Because my mum always talks about um, how difficult it was because my mother's American and emigrated to the UK, you know, met and married my father before I was ever born. And she's, I think this is the year that she actually swings to being in the UK longer than she was ever in the US because she moved when she was 26, I believe. And she talks about, you know, she always says, Jess, you're so lucky with FaceTime and, you know, you can pick up and see your family, hear them, talk for as long as you want for free with things like WhatsApp and Skype. You know, she always says, you know, when I first moved to the UK I could have a 10 minute phone call twice a month and it was an expense we had to budget for very expensive and any other communication you had to write a letter and and wait for a response which might be a week or 10 days you know there was no constant um communication and connection yeah did you experience that and was that difficult totally 100 percent. and after I started the process of uh, applying for a visa for uh, a green card card, Mm. I learned from my lawyer that I cannot leave America, and it would have take it would take me three and a half years. Wow! So for four and a half years, I didn't see my family. So that was the most difficult thing. And telephone calls. Mm. Remember, telephone booth. Yep. With um, coin. Yeah. Whatever they call it, I forgot. The payphone. The payphone yeah. with the money and stuff. Yeah. So we learned a trick that if you connect a, a wire to it, then it doesn't fall. It will click as if the conversation ends but then you know you pull it and you start again and you can continue the conversation wow we'll find all kind of ways to to yeah we we spoke with our families probably my friend and i um my best friend from the army joined me after a year Mm -hmm. so it wasn't too lonely in the beginning so we would go to the payphone and you know find all kind of tricks to Wow. Talk. And if the phone was broken or something and mm-hmm. we could talk for half an hour, woohoo, that was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's so crazy. Like it was really difficult for me. Yeah. To be away from my family. So you talked about, you know, that you'd fallen in love with American music and, and the idea of the culture. What was it that was enough to say, okay, well, if, if getting my green card means staying here for four years and not going home what was the pull that was enough to keep you here and not say I can't go home I can't not go home I've got to risk losing that opportunity was it just you know I think a lot of people think about the American dream and it's the land of the free did you just what was it that kept you here instead of going back home it's called a husband oh I met my husband just you fell in love a little bit before I was supposed to go back I was really ready to go back wow almost five years so do you think if you hadn't met him you would be back in Israel today probably and after Metal was born I didn't want to stay here I really wanted to go back Mm. but he was interesting how you have a child you really 
have that pull to be around your family? Not only around the family, I really appreciated the education system in Israel mm-hmm. and the way kids are growing up. In Israel. They still, today, they grow up in, they still grow up in a very warm environment with family and extended family, which is missing here. Mm. I had a hard time raising my kids here by myself. That mm. was the hardest thing for me, not to have sisters, brothers, uncles, aunts. And yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so when Metal was born I wanted to go back and not right away uh, I think before she turned five I said to my husband you know I think it's time to go back to Israel and he said I don't think so and what was his I, I feeling like of why he didn't want to leave he wasn't connected to his family right because he came to his mom okay his mom um, immigrated um, probably 15 years before us he he came to America right after the army two years before me Wow. And he just saw his life here. He just yeah. didn't want to... He didn't have that pull to go back. No. Wow. So for no. you, it was a choice of, do I you know, choose home or do I create a new home? Exactly. Wow. Exactly. That's amazing. So what were the difficulties in, in raising your kids? Like just the dif- difference of cultures? Not so much culture, just being here by myself and... Yeah. and enduring all this you know it's not easy to raise a kid and especially without the supporting the the extended family support Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm used to that that's how I'm used to that in Israel and I come from a big family which you know everybody helps it everybody so it was very difficult very difficult for me and being away from my mom was difficult too I bet I really struggled with that um you know I I'm always conscious that I I acknowledge my privilege because I've got friends you know that have come um you know from a different country and and been deported you know and and it was so interesting to see the effect that that had on those people of just like real rejection it's really it was really um a tough thing to watch and it really made me be grateful for the fact that I have you know this passport that was able to you know literally pass the borders pass mm-hmm. through the ports yeah. um and it's interesting when you when you come through the airport um when they say welcome home if you have an american passport mm-hmm. and and if you don't have an american passport you're you know you have to go through you know immigration lines and and you know um what's that called customs and all of that stuff um but that was difficult for me of of just being away from my family and and not being able to not go home because I couldn't leave the country but just you know when you get stuck into your life and you've got bills to pay you know you can't just afford to take a trip all the time so I really resonate with that loneliness of of being away from your family and as strange as it sounds like sometimes I like really missed the rain in the UK it was just so dry and and humid here and as I said earlier like just just wanting to talk about like those little cultural things like you know tv show hosts that we grew up with or you know talking about just the the you know quintessential British things of my culture I didn't have anyone to share that with and luckily um I have an uncle who's British who's not my blood uncle but uncle by marriage um that was you know from my same culture so I had that you know little connection like you would have had with your friend but I really understand and resonate with that feeling of wow this is I'm comfortable here and I like my life but it's not my home and it's not my culture and everybody so do you wants feel that like you're in the middle yeah you're I've always felt pulled I I completely get that and a lot of people give me jip for um like sometimes I get pulled more into the American side of things and I used to get it was like really embarrassing I you know, people go, oh, you sound like such a valley girl. And, you know, I would get very, oh, I shouldn't have done that because I'm betraying my British side. And then I, as I got older, I thought, well, why shouldn't I? What? I and I used to describe it um, as it felt to me like almost like two languages. Like if my mother was French and my father was British, I might talk to my mother in French, but then I might talk to English and, you know, to somebody else. Yeah. So why is it different with an accent? You know, and I, I got to 
a point where I really was, um, I could do such an, a good American accent, no one would ever guess I was British because I was oh, wow. sick of people asking me about it. Yeah. You know, telling me about what the one time they'd gone to England or asking me a million questions. It was like, why can't I just be who I am and have these two parts to my identity without you hounding me about it? I got to a point where it was actually quite annoying and it felt like, okay, well, I'm going to talk to my American family and friends in my American accent and when I go home, I'm going to talk to my British friends and family in my British accent. Well, you didn't see it as interest? That was fine. I had no no problem with people you know, saying, oh, well, I love British culture. That was fine. That's that's connection. You can still be offensive about you know anybody's culture. Yeah. That was the thing that I found difficult. Um, so yeah, I definitely feel pulled between you know my two the two sides of my identity and, and where do I fit in that? You know, it's interesting that being Jewish in America, uh, at some time you feel great that you're an Israeli, but recently not so because of what's going on and the perception of what's going on in Israel. A lot of people do not understand what's happening in Israel. I don't want to get into politics, but being Jewish in America, you know the Jewish people have pretty strong force, especially in the Democratic yeah. um, Party, um, very supportive of Israel, and recently it's been changed. So I remember you know, people ask me, where are you from? And I would say with pride, I'm from Israel. Mm. You know, it, now it's like, uh, I'm Israeli. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if I want to announce it. Because you don't know what the reaction's going to be. Because it's different, too. Yeah. Most of Jewish people are really, for some reason, I, I don't think they know what's going on in Israel, but they're, they're not really supporting, yeah. you know, the situation in Israel. Did you ever encounter any racism or prejudice when you first came to America? Hmm... No, the the only thing that people would comment that I don't look Israeli, I look Mexican, I look uh, mm. Brazilian, I look Italian. They didn't even know what right. Israeli looked like. Wow. You know? And they would say that I was aggressive, you mm. know, because I, yeah, at the time American were really, you know, um, uh, how like polite, yeah. polite, mm. polite. And Israel is really, you direct. know, in my days, very direct. They yeah. say what they think. And, yeah. and, you probably you get know. more stuff done that way, being yeah, direct. Yeah, I think it's to be real. To be, you know, honest and real is much better than just going beating around the bush. Yeah. How do you and, think your story would be different if you were emigrating today? Um, I think it's a lot more tougher to, to make it here today. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, less oppo- uh, there's less opportunity than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And personally, I loved Los Angeles 40 years ago. I, I really cannot pinpoint, but it's, it's you know how it is when things change slowly and slowly, mm-hmm. and then you see the change? Yeah, the That's gradual. The gradual that you don't pay attention. I'll give you an example, like my wood floor. I did not have this screen on the door, and the sun was, you know, for nine years, you know, and I didn't pay attention to it until I saw really faded, you know, wow. color. Yeah. Uh, something like that. Um, I think, I don't want to say this because I'm an immigrant too, but Mm -hmm. a lot of people who came to this country came with uh, some good stuff and bad stuff and some of the bad stuff like driving, Mm -hmm. you know, erratically and, you know, not being polite on the roads. I can see it now. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is something I hate in my country. Right. Uh, People drive like maniacs and, Mm -hmm. and don't give way and honk the horns and stuff. I find this becoming like this here today and I don't like it. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I moved away from Israel because of these kind of things. Mm -hmm. So these are the things that I'm talking about. And it's becoming, you know, crowded and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it doesn't have the appeal and the fun that it used to be. It was maybe more exclusive before. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's always hard to I mean this this podcast is called Let's Be Honest and it's it's about tough topics and immigration is a really difficult topic and especially in today's time you know you know we're recording this at, in a period of time where there's an immigration crisis happening on our southern border here in America mm-hmm. um I always tend to lean towards the idea that you know it's it's one one human race one planet mm-hmm. and borders are really imaginary and if you go back and you look at how take the continent of Europe for example how that got chopped up and how borders changed and how different governments and king you know monarchies took over different parts of land and how it is interesting to me like how you know Germany was not always you know the shape and the with the borders that it is now um and people get very defensive about their countries and and you think well 
you know, the part of the country that you're getting really upset about used to belong to a different country, you know, back in the day. So, you know, the world's always evolving and changing in terms of what borders are. But, you know, the general one race, one, you know, planet is is a lovely thing to think about. But I also get the importance for needing borders and, and needing to protect um and you know you have you have to be realistic about things like overcrowding and you know a country and an economy and a government only has so many resources mm-hmm. and just like a family home if if you have a family of four and you have a budget for a family of four and you have rooms for a family of four if suddenly 50 family members moved in with you you'd have a problem on your hands. That's exactly the analogy I have always. And and you'd suddenly have to figure out where are we going to put these people to sleep? How are we going to feed them? How are we going to figure out how 50 people are going to use two bathrooms? Like it would be an issue. And yet at the same time, an analogy I like to use is just like you love your family and you'd want to work it out and you'd want to see how you could best serve people and and make make it right for everybody. In that way, it would be wonderful as 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 a human race or our government could look at people like that of okay the the goal is love and inclusion and and we want to try and make this the best experience for everybody and for everybody who comes to have a good life but then just like going back to the analogy of the family there might be a time where you have to say we can't do this anymore or we certainly cannot let any more people in or some people or not that it just i I will continue the analogy of the family yeah Uh, I'm for immigration within the limits of the law. I am too. I came to America. I learned the language. I followed the rules. I, you know, paid money, very high amount of Mm -hmm. dollars uh, to get my green card. I think everybody should be that way. I agree. Uh, it's I like, agree. You know, like coming to your home, yeah, uh, and you pay for groceries and yeah, everything. Yeah, you help contribute. And nobody contribute. No, yeah, you have to contribute if you want to be here. If you want to be in my family, I you know, after totally two, three, agree. four weeks, you have to contribute. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I believe that it's good to help people that uh, have issues, mm-hmm. you know, in their country. Yeah. Um, like if Sudanese are coming, immigrating to Israel because they're, they're killing people right and left. But but then, you know, you have to really see who's legitimate and who's not. Yeah. So and that's where it gets so blurry. I, I share, right. I think, the same view as you that I'm all for immigration within, you know, the, the context of a law and uh, of the law. And I think a lo- some people could look at me and say, well, you're you're privileged you have two visas of course you have a certain opinion of course if I was in a different situation I might think differently um with our current government personally I'm not for this wall you know I think the way that we're going about it is quite aggressive Mm -hmm. and I think now we're at a point where people are actually being mistreated and companies are profiting off of people being detained and separated I'm actually quite horrified and traumatized totally. by that. I mean, kids should not suffer because of it's you know horrendous decisions by, by yeah. politicians. It's, it's horrendous. So yeah. I am I'm definitely not somebody that's go you know, put the wall up and you know nobody should come in. It's you know we're full kind of thing. But it's hard. But I because I do understand the need for the structure and and figuring out how people you know are going to come in and and work not not what yeah. work as in like you know work for money but like how is the system going to work um but it, it's really difficult and I, and I agree that just as you use the analogy of the family you have to contribute and um I have no problem saying that you, if you're going to come to a country you've, you like I it's like if I came here and went well I, I'm British I don't really want to pay taxes like that wouldn't you can't do that you've yeah. got to come you've got yeah. to contribute to society you've got to pay your taxes you've got to um you know work within the law but then again as you know life is never black and white it's always gray you know back was it 2016 when it was like this you know the crisis in Syria and people Mm -hmm. were crossing over the ocean to Greece in boats and people you know would say and and it happens in the UK a lot and unfortunately um there's a lot of racism in England against Polish people which is so crazy because you know the, the Polish were a part of helping us liberate you know the the second world war you know and and yet now it's you know, people, know that? yeah oh yeah if you go back and look at the history in the world war Two, that the the british army were severely supported by the, the polish there and i i love the polish people i think they're incredible incredible people but um you know people 
racist people in the UK I've heard a lot as I grew up why are you coming over here and taking our jobs you know why are you coming over here and do you really think like that somebody would immigrate from a different country because something was so bad they'd come over here for your you know seven pound fifty a week benefit like yeah. come on yeah if if people are packing their children and anything that they can carry into a boat to have a potentially death sentencing journey across the sea to a new country do you think they do that if they, if they did not feel that that was the only option yeah you try living in a country that was totally affluent like I think people forget that the Middle East places like Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria had beautiful shopping malls amazing highways they yeah they were affluent beautiful countries and you try living in a country that's been bombed to shreds and there's nothing left Mm -hmm. don't you think you would try and leave there's no people have no compassion when it comes to that and that's something that I find difficult because it is that two sides of the coin of you do need to protect you know people's countries and and you know make sure things are fair and that people are contributing as you said like weed out who's you know really legitimate who's not and then also just having compassion for people as you know fellow members of the human race well compassion is one thing but realizing that you're being taken you know or being used is mm-hmm. another and that's what happened it's like a combination of people mm-hmm. um I've, I've seen a show uh an israeli show of showing how immigrant um, I don't want to say religion whatever but immigrant who came to various countries like uh, France and England I don't know about England but mostly in France because he was there how they're taking uh, advantage of the system and not paying any money but Mm -hmm. getting all the money from them and creating um, what do you call it Um, I forget the name for it Uh, like a, not a ghetto, but you know, a, a, a closed place where the police mm-hmm. even cannot get there. Really, um, and, and just taking advantage of the system. Yeah, and that I don't like. So that the government's taking advantage of the system. No, the people who immigrated. Oh, people. oh I see. Are using the system and getting paid. You know, social, mm. social ways. I don't know how they do it. In the UK, we call that squatting. Okay. So like, I don't like that. Yeah, if somebody comes in and, and basically like establishes this, you know, an abandoned home or something like that. And that's so to dive in again, that's so difficult that there are people who are absolute what we call in England schmucks, like people mm-hmm. who take advantage of the system, they don't contribute to society, they're rude, they don't respect the culture of, of the country that they've gone to. Yeah, so I, um, I think it's legitimate to tell these people, I'm sorry. You have to leave. But then, how do you weed? How do you go about weeding those people out? Because in the if they don't work, mm -hmm. if they're criminals, yeah, if they're troublemakers, you're not contributing to my society. Yeah, get out. Yeah, going back to the family analogy, just like if you had don't be ashamed about that because these people are taking advantage. Yeah, imagine again the analogy of your home. Yeah, you have a guest, you do it out of love. Mm And all of a sudden he said, you know what? I have a relative who wants to come and stay with us. Can he stay for a few days and then another one and another one? And pretty soon they drive you out of it. Is this what you want? Mm-hmm. People to drive you out of Or they come in home? and they disrespect your home and, and you totally. say, okay, can't stay yeah. anymore. No, you cannot stay yeah. here. Get out. The problem that comes with that, because that, I agree with you in, in um, you know, an ideal world, that that's the system. And, you know, that's you know, if you're not contributing or if you're causing trouble or if you've come to the country and you're committing crime, it's time to leave but the tr- the trouble that comes with that is that then all people of the same race and some people's minds get painted with the same brush and that's what's happening now you know people who are racist saying well all mexicans or all south and central americans are i mean our no, own president can't. said it you know they're rapists what every single one of them you well, know that's stupid you that's know, course a, a person you cannot say all the people exactly a child will say that to you everybody in my class yeah never there. and always you know so, there's a big exactly. big swinging so words you, you have to have tools to mm-hmm. check who's really legitimate and who's not yeah and not let the good people suffer exactly because they you know that that's what happens is the good people who say i want to come here for more opportunity they do pay their taxes they contribute they work Mm -hmm. they're good members of society you know they get swept up in that you know um painting painting of every you know of everyone you know being the same um when it's not true and i and that's part of the crisis that you know our country is experiencing now is that unfortunately 
we have a government who and an administration who are painting all of those people with the same brush and those who are innocent are getting you know shafted as as we say in the UK like just and it's that's really really hard to see and of course now as we've mentioned earlier it's gone completely over the line to where it's not like this mass deportation which would be very traumatic you know because when it, you think it is traumatic yeah because of separating kids from their mom and exactly if you're actually looking at research you'll see that mexican who immigrate here mm-hmm. legally or, or illegally um actually really advancing really nicely compared mm-hmm. to other minorities yeah. so it's really a myth that mm-hmm. saying that all mexicans are coming here taking advantage of good you know, yeah. yeah, they're not paying taxes because they get paid, paid cash because they're afraid they're not they're illegal. Mm-hmm. Even assist them to become legal after they're here for a certain time and they prove that they're really good workers and they can pay the taxes. Yeah, and and those sorts of jobs, because um, I think there's people that that say like, well, that's all they can do, or they can only work in the fields, and that's all they're good for. And of course, you think that's just ridiculous that they're doing jobs that are, um, you know for able for cash in hand you know if they're not documented because then then it's less risk you can't you know set up a w2 if you don't have the paperwork um but you know i i to go even you know one step further just like with any race you know there's there's brilliant mexican guatemalan you know um doctors and dentists and lawyers and and everybody can progress it's about opportunity and that idea of you know america is the land of the free and it's it's uh, an american dream you know anybody can can you know, come and, and yeah. achieve that we don't we don't have to go so far my um housekeeper immigrated here illegally and she worked on her paper later on but she has a daughter who's uh, 15 16 and she is gifted and she is contributing she's fantastic she's already accepted to a university so here is a proof that somebody who works hard pay taxes mm-hmm. Can address yeah. and can I had opportunity and I went to school I got my degree and you know yeah I came here legally I mean it's the know, same the system in the right way yeah it's the same with everything in life that if you work hard and have the right attitude you can of course advance mm-hmm. and it's interesting you mentioned about you know her daughter because that's another issue is what if the you know grandmother or then the mother of of a family is an illegal immigrant but then they've got a child that was born here how do you handle that do you deport the family and allow the child who was born in america to stay or do you start separating families because that's what the law says like that's when you get into really sticky situations because what's what's more important like keeping a family together or, or keeping the technicalities of the law so i think it's important to look at each family and their story versus you know looking at people as a in whole. general as a whole and say the all illegal immigrant let's deport them you know you cannot just you know like yeah. you said brush them all Paint under them all the, same the same brush yeah do you think that you would ever leave america or do you think do you think you'd stay or could you ever see yourself going back to israel i not anymore because israel has been changing mm-hmm. in a way that i don't like it's very stressful a lot of the kids are growing up with PTSD because of all, you know, what's going on yeah. there, especially yeah. in the South. Um, the education system is not as good. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's I, by now, I think I'm, I'm already established here. How important was it for you, like when, once you met your husband and got married and started a family to find a community? Very important. And was it and what was happened? it a draw to find people that were also the same culture absolutely, as you? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, when I was a teenager in high school, I couldn't understand why the Americans were really staying together. I said, "Hey, you you immigrated to Israel. You're supposed to assimilate. You're supposed to." And obviously, they stayed integrate. Together. Yes. Yeah. And now, of course, I understood it once I had to go through the mm. same situation where I was here by myself and mm-hmm. looking for people like me and similar who understand my culture who understand the language because it's nice to speak english because you're in america mm-hmm. but it's so much easier to speak a language that you're born yeah um with and and just communicate with people that know your culture yeah you know same jokes and books that you talk to i i didn't know anything about you know children books yeah and i learned that through my daughters when they were little mm-hmm. uh, so there's certain things you can never 
how do you say, acquire yeah. if you didn't grow up That's you know, true. learning that. Throughout your family, because obviously you've got two girls and you're married, how, how important was it and how did you implement and maintain aspects of your culture in your family while living in a country that was different than your homeland? So first of all, it was important to speak the language. Mm. Uh, when and your family speaks Hebrew, yeah, right? We speak Hebrew. Yeah. Um, initially, when Mital was little, we spoke English because we. Fi- I figured, you know, we were in America. We need to learn Hebrew. And then I was talking to my husband when she was five. I said, "What are we doing? She needs to go to, to speak the language uh, Hebrew because she needs to speak with my mom. My mom doesn't speak uh, English well." Mm-hmm. And uh, so if we continue to speak English, she wouldn't know any Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And so, that's a good time, like when they're so little, because they're, they're little sponges, I don't know. aren't they? It, it, it took us five years to realize that. So I remember vividly when I came to Maytel and started speaking in Hebrew, and she said, Mom, I don't understand what you're saying. I said, what do you mean? This is Hebrew, blah, blah, blah. So it was really difficult in mm-hmm. the beginning, but then we made very good decisions because she speaks, she writes, she... Um, uh, read in Hebrew. Mm. Uh, we also made it uh, important uh, important decision to for her to go to school, a Hebrew school. We, she went to uh, Kadima Hebrew School, mm-hmm. just because of, we wanted to know where she was coming from. We were yeah. not religious, so that heritage is important. Exactly. So through that, she will learn, you know, about the holidays, about Shabbat, about all the cultural stuff. Yeah, and and that was a good decision because mm-hmm. she. I love listening to her speaking to my mom in, in Hebrew mm. with this English accent. It's yeah. so cute. Oh. Um, and, and what about in your home? Like, did you guys cook um, Israeli food? And did you? how did you keep that culture alive within your family? Like, we kept Shabbat, mm-hmm. you know, not because we're religious, just for the culture. Yeah. Um, and also, it, it's an opportunity to meet with people. So you invite people to your home, you're invited, mm-hmm. holidays and Shabbat. Um, and that's how you create it the community because we met people in school and we connected mm-hmm. um so we had shabbat we had holidays uh the language and visiting when we were visiting israel she you know got the culture more yeah, yeah. so so you took your kids back to israel to you know make sure that they had experiences of of their you know cultural heritage homeland mm-hmm. that's amazing yeah, and they loved it yeah. yeah yeah did they ever talk about how it was a culture shock or did they find it quite normal I don't think it was a culture shock for them. Because they were used to it, yeah. I mean, some of the stuff when they grew up, you know, they were experiencing, not experiencing, were telling me about their experiences, Mm -hmm. how different it is. Yeah. Uh, And one more, I have two girls. Yeah. So one more than the other, assimilate. Um, I think Metal is more American, Karin is more connected to uh, the Israeli part. Mm -hmm. Um, Why is that, do you think? Uh, Personality. Right. Yeah, and being, you know, independent. Yeah. yeah. How important was it for you, you know, in addition to making that community um, of, of your own people when you came to America, but integrating and, and learning about the new culture? I mean, you obviously had loved the American music and American culture and you'd had a friend, but did you find um, that you made friends with people of different cultures? Because America's, you know, very well known for being a melting pot so did you find that you had friendships with people with different religions and from different races like when you came and got settled it's interesting that you're asking this question because again we talk about Meital, who is really open-minded mm-hmm. and opened my eyes to really accept i didn't know i was a prejudice mm. i didn't think i was until i heard remarks from actually both girls um Ima, it's not nice to say something like that. I don't even remember what I said, but but it sounded like it was prejudiced. And then I kind of rethink uh, about what they were saying, and, you know, they were right. Um, was that hard to hear? Yeah, because I didn't think I was a prejudiced. I, mm. I thought of myself as very open-minded. Here I am in America. Of course, I'm, you know, speaking with Mexicans. I've been exposed to black people, uh, you know, all sort of races, but... But it's not just that. It's, it's, it's about meeting people who are gay, mm-hmm. meeting people who are with tattoos, all, all kind of people that are different than what I'm envisioning in mm-hmm. like people yeah. in my culture. Yeah. 
So how was that experience of coming and having your daughters kind of say, um, I need you to have a, you know, rethink about this? Well, it's an eye-opening. Yeah. An eye-opening, and they were absolutely right. So did you feel like your views changed after they said absolutely. some of those things to you? Absolutely. How do you feel now versus when you were... I accept anything and everybody. Wow. Yeah. Does it feel more freeing and light totally. to be like that? Totally. Absolutely. And because I think when we when we as a people are prejudiced, we miss out on so much. You know, I, I personally love, love culture and I love traveling. Um, another podcast episode we did earlier on in the series was about race. Um, and I was talking about how I grew up in a really small town in the UK. There was about 9,000 people in the whole town. Oh, wow. And I did not see a person of any color other than white Caucasian until I was 10. Like, really no exposure. And that didn't mean that my family and parents swung so far on the spectrum that they were racist and we, we don't integrate with people that are different than us. It just it wasn't just around wasn't to, yeah. to experience. Well, how was it? I loved it. You know, um, my first experience was our, um, he's my honorary uncle from Zimbabwe. I came mm. to America. So I got this, you know, hang out with this incredibly cool man that I consider my uncle from Africa and learning about, you know, Shona, their language and the culture and just really, really cool. And then when I was 15, I got the travel bug. Um, and I was like, I just want to go see the world. And I traveled to Kenya for a month. Mm. I spent um, two months in Borneo and Malaysia. I spent a month in Cambodia. Oh, wow. Then I traveled to South Africa a month. And then obviously I you know, had, had been in America. So I had, had a lot of exposure to different cultures and language and food and how people do things, how people celebrate, how people mourn, like really interesting. And what I came away with was realizing that you know, going back to the one race, you know, one human race, that every person on the planet needs a handful of things. They need water, shelter, food, a purpose and a community. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Maslow's, you know, hierarchy, like yeah. everyone's got to have those basic needs yeah. met. Yeah. Um, and everybody needs those. And cultures might go about getting them a different way, but generally at the the bottom basic part of who we are as people Absolutely. is the same. And when we look at somebody you know and judge them we miss out on the great greatness of who they are and learning oh there's a different way to do that or gosh you get the same result but you go about it in a different way than me you know I just thought it was so incredible and I absolutely loved it I did a homestay in the jungles in Borneo Mm. so we literally you know drove from the town to these tiny villages and we each got separated okay you're just you're with this family you know you're with this family and you literally go and you integrate with their family no like guide no translator you just go in you have a place to stay like it was a shared bedroom and they didn't speak any English and yet they were the most loving people ever and there was ways to communicate even without language and I remember just walking away going that was one of the best experiences of my entire life and if I had judged somebody or said well I don't want to do that because it's not what I know I would have missed out on that yeah you know but you know I love traveling and I'm like you I've been in Africa I've been here in Asia and stuff and I learned the same thing people want the same thing everybody just wants a bit of food a bed and some love but (laughs) but when Mittal was telling me at some point, I think she was 16, that she has a friend who is a dancer, mm-hmm. like a go-go dancer. And I would frown on it and say, what? Mm-hmm. My daughter is befriending somebody like that? And then she would bring him home. And then I get to know the person and say, oh, okay. They're not They're what really I thought. nice people. Yeah. yeah. Well, if or we were people all... that have a lot of tattoos. Yeah. I used to think that it's really low life. And yeah. Well, today is very popular, but in those days. It's I'm different, about, yeah. You know, that somebody who had a tattoo in Israel is like a sailor really or somebody Really taboo, right, yeah. So I learned that it's just the cover. It's good to get to know people yeah, underneath and see I who agree. they are and what they are. Well, if we were all blind, we wouldn't, there would be no racism. Yeah. You know, if we, if we all just closed our eyes and took the person that we're in, interacting with and experiencing and just soaked up their energy and and listened to what they were saying and didn't judge someone on really just the case that's carrying their soul around you know how much more peaceful life would be yeah and also on top of it because we're so similar everybody listening to the same music and youtube and this yeah. and that i i embrace differences more yeah and actually cherish it 
more yeah. than being the same. I agree. I just went um, the other night out here in LA. We went to this like 90s night at this club. And it was just a night that was like, they're playing late 90s music, come and have a good time. And I remember in the thick of it, you know, we were all dancing and we we're out really late, didn't get home till 3 a.m. And I looked around and it was so amazing because there were, you know, I think it was like one of the Britney Spears tracks that was playing. Mm-hmm. And I looked around and I was like, there is every single race in here, every gender, all different ages, all different shapes and sizes and everyone's dancing just because they love the 90s I was like this is a subject like that transcends you know all barriers people just want to come and dance and enjoy the music and I mean music's such a universal language anyway but it was just really cool to see like I, I was proud to be a part of that moment of time where you know there was no segregation or separation everybody was just sharing you know a love of something and it didn't matter yeah was amazing yeah. well we've come to the end of our hour oh, i know so much fun i know didn't that go really fast totally they always yeah. i look at the time and I go yeah. oh i felt like we'd be talking for five minutes thank you so much for coming and on i found some commonality yeah you came to united states in june or yeah July. june the so end of me june too. i landed in america oh. 40 years ago 13th of june wow we should have yeah. our anniversary party together mine yeah, was the 25th right. of june 25th oh. of june wow Wow, that's so funny. Well, thank you for being a guest. That was a great conversation. I appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Let's Be Honest. Be sure to follow us across social media using the tag Let's Be Honest, the podcast. And tune in next week for a very special episode.